in your engagements with him, sorry, I have to ask you, like, obviously, you had the privilege. I mean, I would kill to meet Nelson Mandela yeah, if I could nice, go back man. in time. I think many of us would, right? Uh, one of the greatest human beings, arguably, to have ever lived. Yeah. Um, and so you had the privilege of, like, shaking the man's hand and not on more than one occasion. So in all those engagements and interactions, was there something that jumped for you something a word of wisdom was, was this it? is what i'm going to tell you so yeah. this is when i was i was i met him at fan court and it was like you know one of the earlier meetings and he started realizing that you know i was kind of like this artist that these kids were like you know screaming for at the shows and you know like they was like okay you know like this is i must ask this so i must tell this guy something what's up hustlers welcome to the matt brown show perseverance perseverance is failing 19 times and succeeding on the 20th but imagine not getting your lucky break day after day for seven years straight how would that make you feel would you quit or would you persevere many entrepreneurs would and do give up for one simple reason rejection sucks but here's the thing about rejection When you are rejected, it doesn't mean you aren't good enough or worthy enough. It just means that you need to get up and try again. You see, this is the single biggest quality that I have noticed in interviewing highly successful people on this show. Our guest today is none other than Danny Kaye, who is the embodiment of perseverance. He is a four-time South African Music Awards winner, singer-songwriter, actor, and philanthropist. He has been featured on The Oprah Winfrey Show, has been a brand advocate for Nelson Mandela's foundation and collaborated with some of the world's most well-known music artists. But despite his celebrity status, his story is in fact also one of many rejections and an unwavering ability to persevere despite all the odds. There are so many nuggets and pearls of wisdom on this episode of the Matt Brown Show, so without further ado, enter Danny Kay. How's it, guys? Welcome back to another cracking edition of the Map Round Show. This particular edition of the Map Round Show is proudly brought to you by Entrepreneur Magazine, South Africa's how-to handbook for entrepreneurs. If you haven't brought your subscription to Entrepreneur Mag, you may do that now. Enough promotion. So today we're going to talk about something that's really, 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 really critical to your success uh, as a human being, let alone as an entrepreneur, and that. Subject very simply is this true grit. Grit, the ability to push through despite what life throws your way in order to get what you want. And one of the best examples of a South African who embodies the qualities of true grit is none other than my man, Danny K. Hey, dude. What an intro. I, know, I better not geez. stuff this up <laughs> after that. No, no, no pressure here. Hey? No pressure. So, dude, for those of us who potentially don't know who the hell Danny Kay is, and maybe if they've been living under a rock. No, there are people out is there. Is it? Oh, yeah. Why? Because when I do shows these days, and there's a bunch of like 16-year-olds, their parents generally know me, but they just <laughs> run around, you know? Is that, is that when you become less cool? Yeah, you just, you know, you, you move with your fan base, and you guys get born. You know, people having kids. I'm selfish. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. So... Let's talk about you. Um, who is Danny Kay? Who are you, bud? Um, 
a difficult question because, you know, I try and do a lot of things and I think a lot of people actually don't know some of the things that I do, especially these days. So the biggest question I get asked when I'm walking around Johannesburg is, when are you bringing out new music? And I'm like, well, soon, but I've been doing other things for, uh, you know, the past, I guess, four or five years when I've been less kind of in my day job, which was, which was music. Um, but simply put, I am, I guess a father, a husband, probably one and two. My wife's watching this, so if I don't uh, say those two first, probably going to get in uh, in shit. Um, husband, father, businessman, entrepreneur, uh, musician, songwriter, producer, and also the very proud co-founder of a wonderful NGO called Shout for a Safer South Africa, which is really kind of my passion mm-hmm. passion project. Yeah, I was going to say, where's philanthropist in that story? Uh, philanthropist is a bit of a narcissistic word. You really? Know? Do you think so? I, I think so. To call yourself a philanthropist is a bit like blowing smoke up your own ass. So I don't love the word. I don't love the word. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm a, I guess I'm, I'm a co-founder of something that tries to do some good. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's been 10 years now that Shout's been around since our first song came out and uh, we've done some good stuff. You know, for most of us, Time is what we want most, but what we use worst. So why not let digital kung fu make the most of your time by letting us market you, the brand behind the brand. Check out digitalkungfu.co.za to get your hands on our curated content packages specifically for busy entrepreneurs. So listen, I want to talk to you today and to our viewers and listeners uh, about this thing called grit. And I think, you know, I, can, I don't get enough of it, right? So just funny enough, on the front cover of this magazine, it, yeah. it's uh, True Grits, uh, all about Joey Evans and how he broke his back and how he was told he'd never walk again. And then he uh, completed the Dakar Rally. So Joey's been on my mm. show. If you haven't checked out that podcast, go and do that. Um, and it's, again, on this front cover, could you survive 150 rejections? You know, and it's almost like it just keeps coming up. Sure. You know what I'm saying? Um, and so I love talking about it because it beats talking about, with, in, with respect, the actual strategic side of business, like the business end of business. Because yeah. I don't know how you feel about it, but, you know, business for me, if you were to look at it as a pie graph, is actually more personal than it is business. It's all about you and what makes you tick. And in your case, it's music and it's business and combining those two things to make a difference to South Africans, hence shout, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, and so, like, why does grit matter to you in your world? And um, what if, I mean, if you, if you go back to when you weren't Danny K, yeah. the celebrity, yeah. um, and you were just Danny from yeah. the block. <laughs> uh, Danny from the block wanting to aspire to be someone of noteworthy importance and value. Like when you go cast your mind back there, like what was the vision at the time? I mean, it's if just in my own life, I think my whole childhood, the first, I guess, I don't know, you know, like, 25 years of my life was pretty much swamped with rejection and no's and you can't. Um, and I mean, even thinking back before I got my first record deal and I became this person that people knew, um, I traveled a road of, 
you know, I counted it because I'm doing these keynotes to, to different corporates. And when I was preparing for it, I, I reflected back on my life and I realized that it was seven years um, since my first submission of a demo tape to a major record label or an independent, both, where I kind of put my name on a CD or a tape back then and said, I want to be a singer, here's a song. And it was seven consecutive years of no until a very small label said yes. When I'd eventually long given up really on, on that I would ever become a singer, be known. Uh, I was working for an investment bank. I'd gone through university just because I was looking for backup plans on, you know, another life other than being a musician. Um, and, you know, when I reflect back, you know, why didn't I stop, you know? Why after the first no or the first year of no's or the second year's, wasn't it like, okay, take a hint, like, you know, give up. And I think it's it's down to what you said. Even in me somehow, which I'm not quite sure where it came from, um, but there was this grit, this resilience to say, you're wrong, you know? These guys, these old guys sitting behind their desks that say, you know, I can be or not be something, um, that's their opinion. And I think it was uh, it was just, you know, being like a great South African word, you know, hardakhat, of just saying, don't give up, don't believe the hype, and don't let these bastards break you down. Mm-hmm. And eventually, I just broke through. You know, eventually I got one yes, and that's kind of all I needed. And I think for most entrepreneurs, most people that want to, do anything. That is their biggest challenge because you're never going to get it on the first go. If you do, you won lucky son of a bitch, you know? You are, you're never going to get it on the first go. Chances are, right? Um, and if you let that stop you, well, then your journey's over before it's begun. So I believe that you actually know where your grit comes from. I think we all know it. Sometimes it's, it needs a bit of reflection and some time to meditate on and think about like, but, but no, I believe it, dude. Like, because you, you acted on it. Therefore there's a belief. Therefore somewhere in your head is a knowing that you were going to succeed beyond what, you know, became, you know, threw in your way sort of thing. Where did it, where does it come from? Like if you, if you really were to hazard a guess, what, where does your personal grit come from? Well, look, I think I, I watched my father, and my father came from no money. He was born really poor. He sold floor polish door to door. I used to go on the road with him, and I used to, you know, watch him really try to provide a better life for us. And I saw him fight his way through, and eventually, you know, he became an entrepreneur, and, you know, he had a successful business. And I was watching these things, and maybe even then, thinking about it now, really for the first time. I probably saw his struggle and and persistence and not giving up. And I was maybe taught to believe, you know, Mm -hmm. believe in your dreams, believe in oneself, and also believe that there could be something bigger out there than what's in front of you right now. And I think I also really just instinctively somewhere in my soul knew that I could do this thing called music, you know. Others didn't believe it. I felt I was a bit misunderstood at the time. I was a white guy trying to sing black music at a time where things were very racially polarized in this country. And, you know, black stations didn't want to play white, you know, sounding music. And white sounding stations were scared of playing Quato at the time. And it was like a very mixed up time. And I was raised in a family that was taught not to believe all that hype. Um, so I thought I was just, it was coming. You know, my time was coming. People just didn't see it yet. Uh, and maybe that's why it took me seven years. But I also think it was about foresight and seeing that things were going to change. And if I just held on a little bit longer, it was going to come around. You know? Stay with us. We'll be right back. 
Hey there, I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top, you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up. It's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. Dude, I have a very similar experience. Like my my old man was a entrepreneur, also in and out of corporate, um, and so I watched him fail like loads of times. <laughs> uh, but he kept going, and it's funny how like it often comes from your parents. You know, the, at, at least the seed does, but that means bullshit in your world because you've still got to water that seed to create something. And of course, so, yeah. You know, and so for but me, so many kids don't have the benefit of parents like that. I mean, we very, I'm very conscious of it. You know, I've seen kids who are talented, man, like at business, at music, and they'll say, "My parents don't believe in me," and that is a dream killer for kids. You know, your parents' belief in you is as a young, influential kid. You know, it's the most powerful, you know, yes or no in your life. And if they're saying no to you, like ah. You'll never do it. Often that's where it stops as well. And I think my parents empowered me and believed in me as well. So as much as I saw that, they also allowed me to believe in myself by believing in me. And I think that's underestimated, in, especially in South African homes. You know, I see poor South African homes. You often, you know, there's a ceiling in your family's mind of where you can go because, you know, that's what your parents do. I feel tremendously privileged that I came from parents that just allowed me to be me, you know. What do you want to say to that young person today, white, black, Indian, yellow, pink, red, green, don't care what your color yeah. is, but who has been born into uh, a position of no privilege, parents potentially orphaned, whatever the case might be, who is struggling to come to grips with their own self-worth. What would you like to say to them now? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's tough. You know, I think the first thing is acknowledging how difficult that situation is and to claw your way out of it is going to take tremendous grit and tremendous belief and tremendous hard work twice as much hard work as your privileged counterpart that comes you know from a private school and parents have managed to send them to extra lessons or improve their maths grades or learn how to play a keyboard or a piano because you know there's no resources for that if you come from a poor family so first is it's going to be tough for you but do the research. Find out how many enormously successful people have come from similar backgrounds. It's not impossible, but it really is going to come down to you and your, you know, how much do you have in the tank? Because it's going to be easy to quit. It's going to be easy to throw in the towel. Um, it's going to be easy to just surrender to your set of circumstances. But I, I really believe if you want things badly enough in life, life finds a way to give it to you. You've just got to just keep plowing away, man. Just keep on chopping at that tree. Eventually it will fall. But you know, some trees are bigger than others and harder to chop down than others. Um, but you got to chop. Yeah, exactly. I Just to go back to this whole like belief in self-worth thing, because I find that a lot of people judge themselves. I think they use their story as an excuse. 
And in the process of doing that, they judge themselves as, as being a failure or not being the person that can be Danny Kay or can be Mavs Mopanyani or, or Matt Brown or whoever it might be. And so stories are a very big deal, you know, and so... Correct. Very great point. It's, yeah. it's like you, the, people the, need to communicate these stories. I mean, which is why I speak to a lot of youth these days. You know, I was conscious of the fact that there was a perception of me, of my success, of, you know, how I did this. Uh, you know, I'd got interviews and, you know, I, I could just sense it. And I decided to tell my life story in a keynote. And I'm going around talking to kids from private schools, public schools, from the Kasi to the northern suburbs of Johannesburg, you know, telling my story just to let them understand that, firstly, it wasn't easy for me and I didn't possess any superpower that allowed me to do this. You know, I wasn't born with any exceptional ability, but what I was born with was a specific set of tools and belief and a discipline that allowed me to, to achieve. And I think if kids can hear stories of successful people that it didn't just happen with a magic wand, then they can understand that it can happen for them too. Your story is obviously very important. I mean, I, I personally have not been in a situation where I've been in the doldrums. In other yeah. words, there's no, been no wins in my sales for like a period of seven years. Yeah. You know, I mean, isn't that the thing from the Bible? It's like seven dry years. And seven, <laughs> it was like, the seven, desert, brother. It's, it's uh, just, but like, but like how, what, what do you say to yourself? Because the narrative in your head will always define what you do. Either you're going to go, I'm not good enough. I'm going to quit. Or you're going to say, fuck that. I'm going to continue despite it. Right. So it's all about your story. What were you telling yourself like in year seven, day 113? <laughs> no, dude, I said I was going to quit. You know, I said, fuck that, I'm quitting. <laughs> Let me tell you. <laughs> there were times in my bedroom, I remember them like yesterday. I would have my PR picks that I would send to the labels, you know, like that I would take and I would type out my own bios and I'd, you know, print my own CDs and I would have these little packs and I'd have them on this big board in my room, you know, and this one said like, Sony with a cross through it because they rejected and EMI and CCP and Virgin blah 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 and I remember looking at them you know and crying you know in tears of frustration like saying that's it and I remember going to my folks and saying I just I cannot do this to myself anymore and very often you also need people around you you know to get you through those times and I had my parents that's why I said I don't take it lightly they said just breathe you know wake up tomorrow and you'll find it in yourself. Because I think they knew that I was that type of person that just needed a moment. You know, you can have that moment. but And there were those moments. But I agree with you. Deep down in me, I was never stopping. There was no failure in my mind. You know, there was. it was just a matter of time. I mean, if I think about it, I went to WITS. I got a degree in law. I went to WITS Business School. I did my MBA. I went to work for Investec Bank. I had a great job. It took me six, seven interviews to get there in corporate finance, started working at Investec, and I was still submitting demos. While I was going to work in a suit and tie, and I was leaving on my lunch break to go take meetings with record labels. Now that to me was just my, I'm, I'm going to get this deal. Yeah. Trust me. You know, I'm working at a bank. This seems like it's never going to happen. And that's what happened. And I tendered my resignation at Investec. And that's when I released my song, Hurt So Bad, was my first track. And that was it. That's how you know me. That's how I'm sitting here. It was, it was just that persistence. Okay, cool. That's a great point of departure for our quote of the day brought to you by Mr. Danny Kay. <laughs> Here it is. So take us through this one. Well, you know, one of 
My biggest hits was a track, I Get Up Again. Uh, I wrote it at a very shitty time in my life. I just had a very public breakup. Uh, things didn't look so rosy for me. Yeah, things were bad, you know, and my career was kind of floating. wasn't really, you know, doing really well. And I went to the UK. I needed like a break. I spent three months and I wrote this track called I Get Up Again. And the chorus was knocked to the bottom but I get up again. And it became kind of like my therapy, my, my anthem. And I think it's what I always really believed. You know, I just hadn't written that song yet. That I needed something again really crappy to go on in my life for me to, you know, to write that song. And it's, yeah, it's the name of my keynote now. And it's, it's just the story. It's the theme of my life. You know, just getting kicked in the nuts and standing back up. <laughs> it's just true, you know. That's Did, what life does to you. Hey, do tell you, me someone who d- no, that doesn't Brent, happen to No, the thing is people seem to think that life's fucking full of roses and like cupcakes. Do no, you know what I'm not. saying? It's like, it's actually about pain and how you, or at least this is, I'm not talking for anyone else other than myself here, but for me, life is largely about pain. If you're single, you're going through a particular type of pain. If you're unemployed, you're going through also a particular type of pain. If you're rich yeah. and you're a billionaire, you are going through a particular type of pain. Everyone always has pain. And it's about how you perceive that pain and what you do with it internally to then either make choices, right? Because choices are your ultimate power. Rejection is part of that narrative, right? What advice do you have for the youngins uh, <laughs> or just people dealing with pain right now when it comes to rejection? Rejection of one's value, self-worth. You mentioned your breakup relationships, rejection in business. What's your words of wisdom there? You know, it's a difficult topic because I think the one thing that for me pain allows, and I agree with you, it's a constant in one's life. Most of us are going to go through tragedy. And you know, Madiba always said, find a way to turn tragedy to triumph in your life. So the worst situation, you got to try carve out a solution that eventually you, you just, you know, you can trampoline it into something positive. I mean, even in my own life, I think the, you know, pain when I lost my brother at 23 years old, which was something that I, I, I couldn't ever imagine dealing with that level of loss, pain in my life. I mean, I was very successful at 2025. My career was fantastic. I was, I was flying, man, you know, girls, cars, money. And all of a sudden I had this like massive, massive tragedy. And it's still something that I I deal with, but I think the, the pain of that allows me to enjoy the happiness that I do get during those good times. So, you know, you got to realize that life can be so tough, but it can also be amazing. And when it is amazing, you've really got to enjoy, for me, those moments. Now my kids, I'm so conscious because I've had such pain of how wonderful those small moments in life can be. And you can take them for granted. You know, you always think, ah, my life could be better. Things could be better. I could have more money. I could have a better job. But there's certain small happinesses in life that for me are just what I, I try and focus on um, rather than the, I wish I could have, uh, I wish I could be doing better. I mean, we all could, you know, we all could be be doing better, having more money, living better lives, but um, things could also be worse. So I think you've got to take a sober look at both. Dude, so sorry to hear about your brother. Uh, obviously, the guys are doing research. We research all of our guests and stuff and came out. So, yeah. yeah I it's, a big, it's a big it's thing a big, in my life. Dude, yeah. yeah but you, it's something that you never really get over, I don't think. So I'd, I'd love to ask you, though, yeah. if you're willing, is what did that experience teach you about yourself? Because at the time, as you yeah. said, you were rock star, right? Yeah. You had everything. 
and then you lost something that was effectively one of your like rocks, mm. your what you based a lot of your MO on, yeah. and suddenly that was pulled away from you prior to when it needed to be. So what did that experience teach you about yourself and what new choices did you make? Uh, did it, I mean, for instance, did, you, did it lead to shout? Like where did, did anything happen or well, transpire? I, I, you know, when, when, when Jaron died, I mean, I, there were photographers at his funeral. Like I was all of a sudden, I really felt the downside of fame. You know, like this was like, it was the worst day of my life. And all of a sudden there were like crews of camera guys and I was like a wreck. And now these guys were filming me. I try to get them through. It was just like, it really, it was a, it was a mind blow to me that, and it made me first think that just, you know, this fame thing is maybe not so fantastic. Uh, and the second thing, it made me realize it's just how vulnerable life is, you know, how, how, how fragile it is. I mean, I really thought I was invincible for, you know, for the longest time. Like I say, I had a terrific career. Um, things had largely gone right in my life apart from, you know, this, I'd put in that rejection behind me. It wasn't a feature for me anymore, but all of a sudden I just got shattered. And it taught me, I guess, that life is a gift, you know, of time. And you just got to really, you know, make the gift count all the time you get given. Yeah. If you would have told me I would have lost my brother 23 years old when we were growing up together, he was my best friend, my business partner. He managed my career at the time. I would have told you never. But all of a sudden, one day he was here, the next day he was gone. And I think it also taught me that pain isn't a reason always to quit things, you know. It can also be an opportunity to make you stronger. So the terrible pain that I felt from his death, I really harnessed into very powerful rocket fuel for the things that I wanted to do, largely in his memory, you know. So I wanted to continue to be successful and I called my company J23 which was for his name Jaron and 23 for how old he was when he passed away I called my album J23 it was you know the first album that like really got me any significant awards and stuff in the industry I started shout also you know largely I think because he was a very uh, charitable guy and I wanted to do something in his memory so all these things were fueled by him so I think I used that pain as as I said as an opportunity to make my life better other people's life better and that's all I really could do you know what do you do yeah you know it's a difficult one you know, what do you do uh, yeah I'm yeah. kind of like <laughs> where to go <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a, you know it's a tough one but uh, listen I'm not the first person it's happened to and I won't be the last you know these mm. things happen in life and as you say life can suck but you know that could have been the end of me um, but if anything I'm offering you proof that even the biggest tragedy in your life doesn't have to be the end of you it doesn't have to be so I was interviewing Gil Ovid and if you know yeah, Gil very well. yeah so Gil um, was one of the sharks in Shark Tank obviously highly successful entrepreneur and I was interviewing Great him, and, and yeah, it was amazing. And uh, Romeo Camalo, uh, former Romeo CEO of Vodacom yeah. and uh, current uh, CEO of Washrika Holdings. And um, we're talking about these breakdowns that happen to you, like as a human being, mm. you know. Um, and Gil piped up, and he was like, Matt, let me tell you something about like these things that happen to you that are out of your control. He said, your breakdowns will always become your breakthroughs. Um, and I found that to be like one of, like you can bank on that shit all day long because it is true. You know, if you think about it, it doesn't feel like it at the time. Like I've, I've lost, I saw, I founded nine companies, six of those failed, right? And I can tell you when it feels like you've lost a shirt off your back, you've, you've lost your spiritual direction, like the worst 
possible low that I've ever experienced in my life. And at that time, you don't feel like you're going to break through ever. And what you do as an entrepreneur, and I'm not like, I'm just an example of hundreds of thousands, millions of men and women around the world. Um, And so you get two types of people. You get the first kind, which lets that event define them. Right, so your brother passing could have defined you, you could have given up in your career. I don't know. You know, people just blow out for various reasons. You get the second type of entrepreneur or person who lets that push them forward. In other words, they take that thing to your point, the words you use was rocket fuel, right? It becomes a rocket fuel. And that's literally what drives me today. Do you know what I mean? Like I remember the hurt because that's what pushes me forward. And it's not enough to like buried under the mattress, you know what I'm saying? Because it's actually where you learn to grow, right? Yeah, you, and you got to do the work, you know? I mean, it's, and you got to, you got to, like, you know, knuckle down and get through these things. Um, and I think if you do, you tell yourself that, shit, if I got through that, man, you know? Like, I'm unstoppable, you know? I literally feel that now. I feel that people can say whatever they want about me. Tweet me, the stuff like bounces off me like rubber bullets. You know what I mean? Like I've been through something real, you know? Don't come with like, you know, whatever. Like I'm saying a failed single. Like I'm saying it gives you perspective on life on if you've beaten that Goliath, like anyone's easy. Yeah, it's like Matt Brown, the MMA artist. He's actually died before. (laughs) You don't want to get into a cage with that motherfucker. No, 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 I don't. (laughs) It's like next level. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, dude, I want to talk to you about leadership for a second because it's obviously a key theme as part of uh, this talk um, that we're kind of promoting today. Um, leadership, it's something more broadly in South Africa we lack. I don't know how you guys feel here in the studio. Yeah. Um, you regard it as a leader today, I think, especially th- just in general, you know, through your music successes, business success, by the way, which I didn't even know about. Um, and then more broadly with Shout and so forth. So, Leadership, like how does one develop leadership qualities in themselves and what anecdotes from your own story do you think you could share? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a tremendous uh, leadership problem, you know, in in our country at the moment. You know, it starts with our politicians. You know, these are the people that we look at to be the ultimate leaders and uh, setters of standard and, you know, moral and ethics, political ethics, business ethics. And you just see the mess that's happening there. And I think it filters down into, you know, corporate South Africa. It filters down into schools, principals. You know, if number one can do whatever he or she can do, you know, what is it, uh, you know, what kind of standards are they setting for us? So for me, leadership is about the old cliche example. Um, you know, I don't speak about anything that I haven't done. I don't try and imagine what it's like to, you know, lead in a sector that I haven't. So I speak about my own life. I speak about the fact that, um, you know, I try to use my position of influence to, to do something positive to set the right example for, you know, kids that might be, you know, be coming up to, to use my leadership to, you know, as we did with Shout, to harness the entertainment industry to say, you guys actually are leaders and we're going to put the biggest collection of you together and we're going to give you a bit of like responsibility as leaders. Like you got to use this position responsibly, you know, which is what I think people like us, you know, we, we have that, we have that onus on us. Like you got that, you know, noose over your neck. It's like, well, now everyone knows you. Are they looking at you? How are you going to 
lead your own life. You know, how are you going to lead your own life? So I've tried to lead my own life and I've made mistakes, but I think I've always tried to come back to home base as a person and say, like, given those mistakes, you can still tread on the right or wrong path in life. And I've just tried to be one of those people that looked after, you know, my brand, I guess, as a, as a youth leader or youth influencer. You know, this term influencer is a, a big, uh, a big term, you know, what sort of influence, social media influence, you know, these influences. And I think not all influences are created, you know, equally, you know, it's, uh, you can influence in a negative way or in a positive way. I think we've got a, a tremendous, a tremendous gap in, in, in South Africa and probably in the world, you know, I think youth are, youth are lost, man, you know, and quite understandably so is that there's a lot of noise out there, you know, and there's not, there's there's not a lot of direction to follow. You can follow the wrong direction very easily. I mean, I'm a heavy social media user and you just open like Instagram and it's just like walls of all the of noise. I'm not saying everything's wrong, but you can latch on to something, you know, very, very easily. I mean, I was reading an article today on News Twenty Four about a young you know, um, artist who got influenced by a big American artist to start indulging in the wrong sort of narcotics because that's what that guy was doing. And he thought he was, a, you know, inspired by him and he thought it was cool and tried to be like him. And it was a very, like, honest reflection on how he was misdirected and very brave of the guy to actually do that. But that's the, you know, that's what you can latch on to if there isn't the right role model out there for you if your parents aren't that or your teacher isn't that so yeah i just try to do my little 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 part you know dude it's 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 ironic for me to think that you know a lot of people spend so many years trying to reach success you know and that's obviously relative in your case you became a celebrity and obviously a big music star etc successful businessman um, and it gives you space to reflect, right? And the thing for me is that once you get there, it's kind of like only then do you think about that. Do you know what I mean? Whereas if you're a startup founder, you're not thinking about that. No. Do you know what I mean? You're thinking. I didn't think about it. You're right. I mean, my, it takes you time, you know? I mean, it does take you time. But I think, I, I don't know, you know, for me at least, like I, I don't think I ever could have drifted too far south, you know, like I had a very, str- I had a great upbringing, I, you know, I leadership and, and being a responsible brand was very important to me. So even though I had, a, you know, I wasn't really conscious of, like, let's say, give back, like I wanted to really give back to South Africa. So while it wasn't in the first four years of my career or three years of my career, I was very, very selfish in my um, objectives. But I think I, I think I eventually would have done it, it was just for me about maybe the right time or the right moment. Um, but yeah, there was a time where acknowledgement of, I didn't think I was going to be anything, to be honest, you know, I didn't think I was going to be anyone worth listening to. Uh, and it was a meeting with uh, Nelson Mandela actually at a 4664 concert in Fancourt, where he said that to me. What were his, his exact words? His exact words. So I was meeting him before the show, uh, well, Smith was there. It was a big four. You remember they used to do those four double six six four yeah, that's right. concerts. Like that were like I was a part of many of them, and Queen were there, and like everyone had their little picture moment with Tata, right? So like uh, you know, ushered in. I was very nervous. 
obviously, I'm, every time I met Madiba, I was always very, very nervous. Like, so you've met him more than once? I've met him more than once. Yeah, well, I worked as I was, I worked with the Affordable 664 Foundation. As ambassador or something. As an ambassador yeah. for like six, seven years. So I was constantly around him during those times, but it never, the nervousness never diluted. It was always like 10 out of 10. I don't know why. Not that he deserved, not that he made, you know, me feel uncomfortable. It was more internal. It was from me, you know, like I was just so awe-inspired by Madiba. Like I just couldn't believe I was seeing him, you know. It was like a wax figure come to life, you know. Every time I looked at him, I was like, this isn't Nelson Madiba. Can't be real, this guy. Did Tommy just out of interest, the second time that you met him or the third time, whatever the case is, did he remember your name? He did. He he did. Well, maybe it maybe not have been the second time or third time, but it was – we went to London together to do a four double six six four there, and there was a very small contingency of South African artists. And I think there was where it was like Johnny Clegg, myself, Lois Obala, a few like you know of the artists. Watershed, I think at the time, and then he had remembered me. But I'd met him like four or five times, um, quite one on one experiences. So it took him a while. It's funny it for did me. take him a while. Yeah. Well, look, fair enough. I mean, how old was he at the time? No, I mean, he was still And how many people young. does he meet? Was he still young? He was still how old was he then? Young. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, young. Exactly. He was in his, what, <laughs> 80s, you know? He was like in his, maybe he was in his, God, I mean, yeah, he must have been in his 80s. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's that's all Late dude. 70s, 80s. <laughs> but he was still at all his faculties. He was very together, you know? Um, it wasn't until much later on when, you know, my meetings with him, I realized that you know he was it was really taxing on him his age um in your engagements with him sorry i have to ask you like obviously you had the privilege i mean i would kill to meet nelson mandela if i could go back in time i think many of us would right uh one of the greatest human beings arguably to have ever lived um and so you had the privilege of like shaking the man's hand and not on more than one occasion so in all those engagements and interactions was there something that jumped for you something a word of wisdom was, well, was this it? is what i'm going to tell you so yeah. this is when i was i was i met him at fan court and it was like you know one of the earlier meetings and he started realizing that you know i was kind of like this artist that these kids were like you know screaming for at the shows and you know like he was like okay you know like this is i must ask this so i must tell this guy something like this is obviously what i must tell this guy something so he sat me down and I was about to launch into, you know, blah, tata, thank you so much for the honor of you. And he said, um, he said, uh, you know, Daneke, you know, whatever. Like, you know, you always used to call me by your full name. You know? And he would just, and he said to me, like, what are you doing for this country that has given you so much or done so much for you? That was kind of the theme of what he was saying to me. You know, this was pre-shot. This was pre-anything. This was just me in my rock star phase. And he asked me this question. And that to me was like... What did you say? Like That was like... like I get shivers thinking about it because I had nothing to say. I, I didn't have an answer for him. you know. And honestly, hand on heart, I didn't say I'm doing this. That. I didn't... I, I was like singing on the 4664 shows. It was a very early relationship. I, I mean, I was just doing it because, like, I was on stage with Will Smith, you know? Like, I was like, <laughs> to be honest, you know, I wasn't like, you know, that into philanthropy or anything. And the question sat very awkwardly with me for a long time, very early, you know? And about a year and a half later, Lucky Dubé was murdered in a hijacking. 
And that to me was the catalyst to starting Shout. Because Lucky Doobie was the first artist I'd ever seen live in concert. I was seven or eight years old. My dad took us down to the Standard Bank Arena. Myself, my brother, my father. I think we're the only three white guys in the room. Uh, seriously, you know. It was kind of my parent my father was. He was like, stuff this. You're going to watch Lucky Doobie. And he was one of my heroes. Always was growing up. Uh, because he was like the first guy I saw on stage, you know. This big raster guy singing, you know, struggle apartheid songs. And I was like, damn, this guy just got killed for his car. And I was like, what kind of world are we living in? Watching CNN, you know, watching South African icon murdered. I, I felt so embarrassed to be a South African that day. I like wanted to hide under my bed. And I phoned Cabello, Mabalane, and I said, we got to do something. And that's how Shout was born. You know, that was, yeah, that was like 12 years ago. What's Shout's sort of highest purpose? What's it trying to do? Um, at the moment, we are just about giving kids an alternate future, an alternate reality. You know, so we started as a crime fighting organization. We looked at crime. Lucky's death promoted that line of thinking. And then we realized, you know, we're probably not going to get the hijacker or the guy sitting in Paulsmore prison for life to really turn turn himself around. Like that guy might be lost, but there's a generation of kids sitting in, you know, bad schools or with bad mentors or, you know, parents that are non-existent, uh, you know, for whatever reason. And we've got to try and give these kids a chance because this could be either the next Nelson Mandela, or the next guy who murders Lucky Dube, you know, like, wh where's he going to go? Most of them have got that option, you know, like, it just, they just need a little bit of guidance and steering mm -hmm. along the way. So we build libraries in, in primary schools, specifically at that, um, that age. Yeah, we've donated about 36 million rands worth of libraries um, across the country. Clap that up. Clap that up. Thank you. Um, we, you know, yeah, we've, we have, we've built about 13 libraries. We'll build many more. We're just getting going and uh, that's our purpose. So Oprah Winfrey's done some amazing work with her institution here in South yes, Africa and just, just around the world Crazy. in general. Yeah. You've actually sang on the Oprah Winfrey show. I've sang on the Oprah Winfrey show. So you know, you've met Nelson Mandela, you've met Oprah Winfrey. I'm name dropping today. Dude. <laughs> No, but I mean, it's not every day. Like it, right? I'm sorry, Matt. When was the last time you met someone who met this, that, those kind of people? They're like household names around the world, dude. So like Oprah Winfrey, I mean, what was your first meeting with her life? Okay, so it's a crazy story. Um, I was invited on a local tour around the country with Ladysmith Black Mombazo. So they famously did Graceland with Paul Simon. How does it go? Uh, Sing it for me? You know? Homeless, homeless, moonlight sleep. Being on a oh. Anyway, that was one of the songs, or Diamonds on the Soles of His Shoes, you know, all these yeah, great yeah. classics. So I was kind of the white Paul Simon at the time. <laughs> this white guy with like this, you know, uh, complicated uh, uh, musical, you know, love, black music, white music, just loved, loved everything. I was working with Mendoza at the time. And Ladysmith Black Mombazo invited me to play Paul Simon on like this big road show, <laughs> you know, uh, around South Africa. And ah, I was just, I couldn't say yes fast enough. Huge fans of theirs. And we toured South Africa and our last show 
was for Madiba's Christmas party outside his home in the Transka in Kunu, right? So, like, imagine Madiba's yeah. house there, the hills of the Transka, and Madiba would get, no lie, 50, 60,000 children to his house on Christmas Day, and he would give them all a gift. And very often, for many years, for many years, and I, I, I landed up doing this Christmas thing for many years afterwards, Madiba would stand for seven, eight hours with an umbrella and, you know, in the dusty, you know, like felt outside of his house and he would give every kid a gift. And some kids would walk seven, eight hours. I swear, I lie, you know, you would drive because, we, you know, we, would, we, stayed, we stayed like by the airport and you would, it would be about an hour drive and you would drive and you would see families walking on the way back, on the way there to just get a gift and meet Madiba. So he was very conscious of it. He stood there for hours giving each kid a gift and wishing that kid Merry Christmas. So the story was we went there to sing at this, uh, at this party and lo and behold, Oprah had been invited by Madiba. He said, you must come see what we do for Christmas. So I rock up there and Oprah Winfrey had her hair braided. I didn't re- recognize it. I didn't recognize it was her because Oprah doesn't really braid her hair, right? She doesn't braid her hair. You're like, I've never seen Oprah with braids, but she was getting in the vibe, you know? She was, she was in trance. She was in Kunu. She was going to braid her hair. She had like a big African dress on. And my God, I was like, holy shit, this is Oprah Winfrey's going to watch us sing. And she stood on the side of the stage and watched us sing homeless diamonds on the soles of her shoes and she came on stage and started singing and dancing with us and about two months later she was having her 50th birthday show and she said get Danny Kay and those guys from South Africa <laughs> we were like, and we went and we were the first South Africans ever invited on Oprah for her 50th birthday Stevie Wonder was there uh, Josh Groban was there Listen, and I grew up idolizing two guys, Michael Jackson and Stevie Wonder. Stevie Wonder sang after me on Oprah. It was like a pinch me moment. Um, sure. Yeah, Tina Turner was there. John Travolta was all her favorite people in the world. God knows what we were doing there, but we got the ticket and uh, we, we went. Yeah, incredible. <laughs> incredible. Amazing. So, I mean, what was she like though? I mean, is oh, it, is everything you would imagine. You know, they say, don't meet your heroes. You know, the famous saying, like, don't meet your heroes. They're going to disappoint you. Oprah was everything you would imagine her to be. We had dinner with her. She sat, she spoke about my brother. Gail was there, her friend. Gail's father had just died. We had this very deep conversation about death. And it was just like a mind. It was insane. It was really, really insane. What does Oprah think about death? I mean, can you recount that conversation? I I can't really, but I just remember her being, you know, as you would imagine Oprah to be, tremendously empathetic, like um, caring, you know, made you feel, you know, like this huge icon was human, you know, and I think that's really like what, most impresses you about famous big people. Humble. Yeah, humble. Caring. Like, it's just like, just if she can care about me, you know, what humanity. It gives you faith in humanity. And uh, that's what great people like that that show their greatness do for you, I think. Love that. And on that bombshell, let's play a game of true or false. <laughs> true or false? <laughs> oh, yeah, so um, there's, right. we, you're going to hear some statements all about uh, grit. Grit, And okay. then you're going to go true or false. Got you. And then we can double down on some of your underlying reasoning, <clears throat> right? Okay. Uh, today is going to be hosted by Keegan. Keegan. <laughs> Keegan. <laughs> Welcome, um, Keegan. It's his first time. I'm also a newbie, so <laughs> two of us. So the first one, 
Those with grit don't require immediate positive feedback. Those with grit don't require immediate positive feedback. Uh, true. Yep, true all day. Okay. The next one. To have true grit, you need to have a purpose. True. Uh, true grit is making a decision and sticking to it. True. The difference between grit and perseverance is luck. False. Why? Because I think luck... What are they, what's the saying about luck? You make your own luck? No, luck is when preparation uh, meets, and opportunity. Uh, yeah, meets opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I think, I think like, you know, you can, you can prepare and get, and get lucky. Uh, but I think also you can, I think luck, luck's a funny one. Like, you can get lucky and not have grit, right? But I think... In order to get lucky again, you need to have grit. Because I think if luck isn't playing in your favor, then, then you know, you're going to run out of luck. Yeah. And if you're going to run out of luck. You know, and you're going to need grit to get you over or to the next opportunity. You know? Yeah. Pretty much. Cool. Okay. Uh, your values are only hobbies unless they are tested. Your values are only hobbies unless they are tested. Um... A tough one. So yeah, debatable. So I think your values are what you choose, right? Yeah. So if what you choose is being tested, what is that again? What is it? Your values are the only, only hobbies. hobbies unless oh, hobbies. Tested. Uh, unless tested. Well, I, uh, think, I you, think I think I think that's what that's saying. Like your decision to stick to something. I think that's false for me because yeah. I think your values can be constant, tested or untested. So like you know, if 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 you test my. My, my my value on something it should be there, but if it isn't tested, it should also be there. You know, it sh- there should be something that's inter- internalized, and it's my set of principles. So yeah, for me, uh, grit means not taking no for an answer. True, absolutely true. And then the at last least one. subconsciously, even you know, if you can well, say, well, look, actually, you can lose on. the pitch, it's, it's and you can walk out and say no. Yeah, exactly. In fact, you should you should probably just say say anything for me. Grit means not taking no for an answer. No, it means taking no and not giving a fuck. That's no, what grit means. On. That's, that was my point. So you can lose the pitch. You can lose the contract. You can be very nice. No problem. We'll see you on the next one. But it's about coming back, you know. It's, uh, you can take a L. You can take a loss. But uh, you've got, you got to get up again. Where's my son, man? It's here somewhere. Okay, it's here somewhere. Are you feeling lonely on your entrepreneurial journey? Well, it doesn't need to be that way. Check out the Daily Hustle Telegram group powered by the Matt Brown Show and connect with other hustlers from around the world. Cool. And then the last one, uh, grit is what separates aimless lives from fruitful lives. Well, I think grit is one of the components in that for sure. You know, I think you, you, you definitely need, you need that, but there, I think it comes along with a set of ingredients, but I think you're going to need it to have a successful life. So... It absolutely has to be there. Thank you. And that concludes I your time on True or False. Well done, dude. Thank you. Cool. So I that think was tough. It was tough, that dude. Was tough. It was deep. Well done, Keegan. There's uh, some good statements there. Um, okay, cool. Let's play a game of the Injustice League. Alrighty. So uh, this is the fun part of the show. Um, is that what this is for? Yeah, that's why bats are in the studio, I'm afraid. Um, but let's set this, this thing up, right? So... Um, this edition of the Injustice League is proudly brought to you by Entrepreneur Magazine. <laughs> oh, that's You're going to Entrepreneur Magazine? Uh, no, not no. today. Shame. No, okay. we, we're kind on brands. But what is your injustice that you see in the world? Um, 
What is my injustice that I see in the world? Um, listen, there, there are a lot. There, there's a lot of injustices I see in the world. But I think I've got to think of something cool, man. Because, you know, like I can't come up with something like, you know, the dolphins don't have enough. Because there is that, that problem too, you know. Um, but I think that they're just, you know, they're just pricks out there that want to hurt uh, good people. And, uh, and they're bullies that want to, you know, uh, lean on the little guy. And uh, I think I'm going to use this to fight back for the little guy today. Amen. Preach. So Matt's going to bring up, uh, um, and it is in the context of your quote, which is get up again. Uh, and so in the context of get up again, we've got you a what? bunch of coffee Okay. <laughs> from, a, from a brand you shall remain nameless. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I'm glad I'm not Jay something because he's sponsored by Nespresso. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Yeah, so what am I doing with this, Mac? Uh, dude, you're just going to take that frustration out on behalf of everyone. Right, Mac laptops. Yeah. So can I, oh, is it like a downward? It's a downward, it's a it's downward, a downward uh, thing. I'm just going to get out the way here. Okay. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, go. Okay, go. Boom! <laughs> that is fucked. That's the best I could do. That is well done. <laughs> was there something you were supposed to explode in there? Yeah, or no, 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 uh, exactly. A milk bottle died today on the okay. Napron show. <laughs> there you go. Oh, dude, I love it. I love it. I love it. So it's about three thousand rand worth of coffee pots. <laughs> uh, Gavin's on YouTube. He wants. Can you? He says. What up, Gavin? What, what up, up, Gavin? Gavin? What's up, Gavin? Dude? It might be my dad. Does Gavin? <laughs> Speaking about him, it could Hi, be. Danny's dad. Hi, Danny's dad, yeah. Gavin, if you want to ask your question to the infamous Danny K, now would be a very good time to do that. Yes, it is my father. Is it your it dad? You're fucking kidding me. It is. Really? It is. It is. Is it really yeah, your dad? It's Gavin Hang on, let Koppel. me see that. There he is. Look, look, look. So my surname's Koppel, right? Danny oh, it K, is Danny too, yes. dude. <laughs> Gavin, uh, so let's talk about your dad <laughs> while, yeah. while he's here. <laughs> so I told you he was a supporter. <laughs> There's the evidence. <laughs> what was the greatest lesson your father ever taught you? Um, Keeping in mind he is, I, he is watching you. Yeah, right I, think, <laughs> I think just, uh, you know, uh, leading, leading by example. Um, and I, I think just... Firstly, his life, leading by example, and 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 showing me that, you know, you can, as I as I mentioned earlier, elevate yourself out of your your current circumstances, regardless of how little you have. Um, and I think the second big thing for me was uh, his belief in me. Um, I don't underestimate how difficult it, it would have been for me if. You know, like your parents, who you look up to the most in the world, are just like this n negative energy that just don't, you know, b allow you to believe in yourself. So they were always very confident that I had this talent, and you know, they nurtured it, they helped me, they pushed me, my mom and my dad. Um, and uh, and yeah, that that was that was for me was was I guess what allowed me to dream and believe. Yeah, obviously. In the pursuits of any dream, failure is an, an inevitable consequence. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so what has been your biggest failure to date? Um, and what did you learn from it? Um, I, got, I had the, probably the biggest 
record contract in South African music history in the 90s, 2000s. I was signed to an enormous label called Polydor Universal. Um, press made an enormous deal of it. Uh, it was like, you know, all over the papers. And I relocated to London. Uh, this was right after It Hurt So Bad. My first album came out and this big label caught wind of me. And I went over to London and I was there for about a year recording with like, you name it, man, like the biggest producers, the biggest songwriters. They were really teeing me up to, Craig David was really big at the time and they saw me as kind of the white equivalent pop version of Craig You're David. you serious? Yeah, because I was doing R&B music and Craig was doing, you know, if you think back to Seven Days and Fill Me In and those yeah. early songs of his. I remember that. You know, it was very much kind of like the stuff I, I, I was doing or they saw I could do and they were crafting a body of work around that. And on the kind of the weekend before I was about to fly to um, Miami to shoot the video for my first single, um, I was very famously dropped from the label. Uh, what yeah. the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> What did you do? You must um, have well, done I actually didn't man. do anything. So w- what happened was the guy who signed me to the label uh, got fired himself from the album. And I was his little blue-eyed boy. He's, I was the guy he signed to the label. And it was really kind of a vindictive move against him. His name was Greg Castell. They said, you know, you and the Danny K Project, go find another home. And uh, and that happens in the music business more often than you would think. Uh, there are so many guys signed to big labels and on the verge of very potentially big careers or they release one song and the label don't believe in them and they drop them. And I had to return back to South Africa enormously embarrassed, um, totally defeated, deflated, and I had to face the whole country at the time with uh, you know the fact that I wasn't going to be this big international star. Uh, and I, I had to, to, yeah, to pick myself up and I uh, started my own label. Uh, and that's when, yeah, that's when, that's when my record label was born. It was more out of necessity than anything else. Mm. I'd left my previous label. I didn't want to be in the hands of the man again. I thought I'm going to try and use what business of brain I have and I start my own label. And that's, that's what it was. The court of public opinion can be a ruthless place. It was terrible. Yeah. It was so, people ripped me apart, man. But what's, okay. But hang on. Why though? I mean, you're you should be the glamour boy of the South African music people industry. Want, you know, like uh, you know, do, is it just because people are inherently because no, they? You, you know, know, people. It's it's funny. You know, it's somehow deep in human nature. We all kind of, even if we like the guy, we, do, we you know, it kind of doesn't. It might not upset us when we see you know tall trees fall or someone successful becomes a little less successful. You know, it's kind of like ah, you know, a little bit of. Uh, humility won't do this guy any uh, any any bad, you know. And I think maybe that's what it was. I think I was like really doing well at the time, and maybe for some people it was chopping me down to size. Um, but it was a terrible, terrible failure. I mean, that was my biggest pr- professional failure, no doubt, because my whole life would have been if it worked. If the story worked, it would have been totally different mm. because, as I say, I was on the verge of very, very big things. But here's the lesson, Matt. Um, that happened in about 2001. 2003, my brother died. So I got to come back to South Africa and I spent the last two years 
of my brother's life with him where I never would have. Mm. And I can tell you, man, if you would have asked me to trade those two years for an international career, no way. there's no contest. So, you know, even when life throws you a shitty ball, you know, sometimes it's a blessing in disguise. And when I reflect back on it now, that's really how I process it. Incredible, man. What motivates you to be successful? I mean, I mean, let's be honest. Hold on. You, you, you by all accounts achieve a hell of a lot, right? Beyond what the average supposedly human being (laughs) dreams of in many instances. Uh, You know, today, despite all your successes, like what makes you hungry to continue to be more? Okay. So a, a few things. Firstly, I don't think I'm... I don't think I'm successful, right? So I don't wake up in the morning feeling like I've achieved. So I think it immediately instills a hunger for me to try and do more. That's that's number one. I surround myself with very successful people who make me feel very unsuccessful. So I think <laughs> I think it's really good to do that because if they're motivators, you know, as long as they're not demotivators, but they got to be motivators to get you up there. So, you know, allow you to push, allow you to see a world where you could have more, you could achieve, you could achieve more. And my family uh, is probably the the third thing. I think until I had kids and I felt a a sense of responsibility, uh, I think they pushed me to, you know, not just kind of sit on my ass, like try and try and do more. And those, I think those three things, um, the hunger, still having the hunger and not feeling like you're there, you know, so you feel you can do more, achieve more, get more, gain more, whether it's knowledge or anything else. Um, yeah, being around the right people. And you got to find a motivator in your own life. Sometimes it's a husband, it's a wife, it's kids, it's parents to look after. We all need that. You know, we need that in order to, to motivate us. If there was one piece of advice you'd want to give your kids about the future and how they can reach their own dreams, what would that be? Um, you know, I think, I think funnily enough, the theme of today, that grit of knowing that whatever you choose to do, it's not going to be easy, but, uh, you know, the, 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 the ultimate achieving of that goal is going to probably be in your hands more than it's not. And it's going to come down to your resilience. It's going to come down to your, you know, pursuit just in the face of all the no's and the doors that are going to slam, you know, uh, you know, in your face. Um, and I think it's going to also be to just have massively huge, almost unachievable dreams. So just think of there's no ceiling to what you're going to be able to do. Uh, and I say this in my keynote because I say this because <laughs> I'll tell you a story for two seconds. I auditioned to my first mentor a guy called Alexis Faku, right, at a downtown studios in town when I was 16 years old. I sang a Stevie Wonder song. Um, and it was my audition, like, performance that got Alexis to work with me, taught me how to write songs, blah, blah, blah. You can see where it's going, right? If you would have told that 15, 16-year-old kid that when he was 25, he was going to be singing on Oprah next to Stevie Wonder, Right, I would have told you that dream would have been unachievable, impossible. So that's why I say just dream the most impossible dream because these things really can happen. I mean, look at Elon Musk, you know. Look at someone like that, a South African boy, you know. I mean, how how do you imagine having a dream coming from here, ending up there, doing these things? Dude, 
Q&A, and then we're going to wrap up. Okay. Okay. He's doing Q&A today. Q. Can can Q get a mic? Yeah. Uh, Are you good? Shoot. Oh, Musa asked, what inspired the song, I Get Up Again? (laughs) Um, Yeah, I touched on it briefly. I'd just gone through a terrible breakup with a very famous South African model. Um, Didn't look so good for me in the press. I was also in a very confused time in my life where, you know, my career was also, you know, not doing so well. And I needed to write myself an anthem. I needed to write myself like a Rocky anthem, you know. And that's where you need an anthem. You need a Rocky uh, anthem in life. And the I Get Up Again is my Rocky anthem. You can just play it in the background, That's Mav, the eye of the tiger. For What's the rest it? of Q&A. That's the eye of the tiger, yeah. Um, and Tandega wants to know, what challenges do you face in the South African music industry? There it is. There's the other tiger. Um, what challenges do I... Listening to this, I'll say, uh, uh, no challenges. <laughs> but, but yeah, the challenges are technology. Uh, technology is kind of a big problem in the music business now. Because if you're not moving with streaming and understanding streaming and, you know, the, the, the new revenue models in music, uh, you, can, you can really not do very well. Okay, and Wendy wants to know what's on the pipeline with music. Uh, so yeah, new new music coming uh, for December, which I'm really excited about. Um, Going to be my first kind of release music video in probably about geez, almost three years. Uh, so it's kind of my big Rocky comeback. Here you go. It's <laughs> fighting Ivan Drago. Who did he fight? Ivan Drago. Yeah. Um, it's it's yeah, and this is going to be a big. Uh, Russian uh, steroided freak for me to try and knock out uh, because I've been away a long time and I've got to uh, I'm in for a fight you know the thing is don't think it's easy it's actually harder being around for as long as I've been around the stations have kind of heard me I've released a lot of music so you almost have got to deliver something so good that they say okay welcome back you know you've been in the club for a while you know and there's all these new people in the club and now you're trying to get in the club and they're like hey you're an older guy you know we don't want you in the club anymore it's like <laughs> i want to be in the club you know i want to go to the club so i'm trying to get back in the club <laughs> uh, and muhammad asked looking in the south african music industry right now who would you like to collaborate um Wow, Matt uh, Brown. <laughs> uh, there's a, you know, the, the guy who I'm r- really impressed with uh, is Nasty C. I tell you, everything I hear out of this kid is like super insanely amazing. I mean, yeah, I, to think this kid came from KZN and is doing what he's. Are you from KZN? Yeah. <laughs> and he's and you and he's doing what he is doing. I mean, it is ju- it's just a mind blow to me. So yeah, I, you know, I just can't send that guy enough positivity. Just keep killing it. Cool. Any more questions? Is that it? Cool. Nasty C, funnily enough, was almost going to be on a film we did for the United Nations. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the kids... Uh, and, you know, again, uh, this uh, this is evidence, and this is what these kids need to see. You know, they need to see someone like that that was sitting in his classroom rapping, and now he's, you know, one of the biggest stars in the country. And why? Talent and grit. Do you guys want to ask Danny anything? Just because he is here. Yeah, go Q. Of course. <laughs> besides music, what can you expect from you? Um, besides music. So, 
Yeah, I mean, there's there's compartments to my life. So there's business, which is really boring. Uh, maybe you're not going to hear about. Um, and that is a whole nother life, which has actually taught me a lot of a lot of additional humility in my life. So I'm the guy who, if I've got this ball to sell, I like going cold calling a retailer, the hustle, a buyer. Saying hi, it's uh, I very seldom give my stage name. I say it's Danny Koppel here. I'd like to come see you. I walk in, I get this very puzzled look on the guy's face, like, I know you. you. I know you from somewhere. And then eventually, it's total doubt of my ability to know anything about business because they think I'm a singer, right? Mm -hmm. So it's once again having to hustle and prove, you know, that I know my story. And then it's the sale. Um, so I love that process. Yeah. I, re I really do love that process very much. And I'm very involved in that process, whether it's in my electronics business or my foods business. Um, so there's that, like I say, which is kind of boring maybe for you. Uh, but music is certainly something that you're going to hear a lot about um, in the next coming months. And Shout, which is my other, you know, big baby, um, which, uh, which we actually need to do a new song. So, yeah, <laughs> we need to do another Shout song. Danny, you're an absolute legend, my friend. Thank you so much for being on the show. It's Thanks, been an absolute man. privilege and honor to be able to share Thank your story, you, man. man. No, it's been great. It's been amazing. Be I don't speak about these things as often as you would think, so it's uh, a great interview. Thank you. Dude, please give a big round of applause to Danny Kay. Oh, yeah. Ching, ching. Thank you to Entrepreneur Magazine for sponsoring the Map Round Show with Danny Kay. And now a word from the Daily Hustle. Today I want to talk to you about help. You know, no entrepreneur is an island, um, although they like to think they are. <laughs> um, and the thing is that we don't actually ask for help. Like when we need it, I find it the most crazy thing sometimes. Um, it's almost like we're too proud to do that. And, you know, everyone from Elon Musk to Steve Jobs to Richard Branson to Matt Brown to you, uh, we all need help on our entrepreneurial journeys. We just somehow aren't really that keen on asking for it. So that's the point of this video. Uh, that's my son there in the back. Um, and that he actually prompted this whole video because kids need a lot of help. Um, and it's funny, as we get older, we tend to grow out of this thing of kind of thinking that we don't need help anymore. Uh, but we do. So I want to ask you this. Um, below this video, let me know what you need help with. And I will personally take it upon myself to do my best to open up my network to you, to offer my advice, my guidance, and my anecdotes and stories and from my own experience to help you get through uh, whatever it is that you might be getting through. Uh, if I can't help you, please, guys, as a community, please jump on this um, and help everybody out. Uh, we all need it. Okay, so this is Matt signing out from the Drakensberg, and I'll see you again soon. Cheers. Thanks for checking out the Map Round Show, guys. And if you'd like to get the Kung Fu put in your ninja, check out digitalkungfu.co.za. Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my 
clients. Haiku went from a 2% share of voice globally to an 11% share of voice globally in only seven days. If you'd like more information, head on over to showworksmedia.com for more. That is showworks with an X.com.